You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello. This is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, I have a comedian come on to play a clip of one of their bits and then discuss how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week, we have a, a, a very special, very surreal episode on multiple levels, as our guest is Mark Marin. First, on a personal level, this show, Good One, would not exist without Mark launching his podcast, WTF, 11 years ago. Beyond what he did for podcasting in general, bringing a lot of attention and legitimacy to the medium, WTF undeniably changed his country's relationship to comedy. Mark took comedy and comedians seriously and in turn helped an audience, meaning the generic comedy audience, learn to value these artists and their art form differently. I was not a full-time journalist when the show launched, but when it did, and I was listening from the beginning, I saw a space that I wanted to be in, that I thought I could be comfortable in. My career, this podcast would not exist otherwise. That's reason one. The second reason should not be a surprise since you are all living in it as well. I recorded this interview with Mark while much of the country was finally coming to terms with the severity of coronavirus. On the episode, we discussed the opening table-setting joke from his new Netflix special, End Times Fun, which is his fourth hour-long special after 2013's Thinky Pain, 2015's More Later, and 2017's Too Real. That's on top of a bunch of albums and half hours over the course of his 35-year career. But End Times Fun has proven to be bizarrely, morosely timely as it deals with themes of uncertainty and fear and isolation in the face of a looming apocalypse. I know. It actually builds this something to behold closer that is hard to describe. It's dark and offensive. It's silly and grotesque, cynical and spiritual. As Mark mentions in this interview, he, he wrote this special hoping to pay tribute to all of his comedy heroes, from obvious legends like Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Bill Hicks, to the more unexpected like old vaudeville acts. And he also wanted to celebrate all he's done as a comedian to grow into the stand-up he is today. If you haven't watched the special, I, I highly recommend it. It's cathartic, and despite Mark's aggressively neurotic or neurotically aggressive tone, it's sort of calming. It will make you feel a little worse, but a lot better. To that point, I'm recording this from the microphone Vox has kindly sent to my apartment. Good one will go on. We have a few interviews banked and plans on how to record new ones. 
I think if there is one thing Mark and I have in common, it's that comedy has always been there for us, bringing us great solace in darker times. Comedy is a great communal relief, so I hope, even in these uncertain times, you can at least depend on us. May I suggest putting on an episode and going for a little walk? That would be nice. So, here is the joke from End Times Fun and my interview with Mark Marin. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know anymore. I don't, I, here's, here, it's my job to, to think of funny things, to sit around and think of funny things. And a few weeks ago, I was sitting on my couch and I realized like, I, I just don't know. And then it went from there to like, what, what do I know actually? What do I, and then it went from there to like, do I really know anything? Like how much do I really know? And you gotta be careful with this type of rabbit hole within your own brain because it can go quickly to like, do I even exist? Which is sort of sophomoric. <laughs> But usually at that moment, I always look at my cat, Monkey, and I go, well, Monkey's there, and he's looking at me, so I'm here. So Monkey's always a philosophy killer. I can always rely on him for that. But, but if you really think about what you really actually know, it's only a few things, like seven things maybe. Everybody knows. The rest are just patterns you call a life. And... <laughs> but, like, if you actually made a column of things you're pretty sure you know for sure and they made another column of how you know those things, most of that column is like, no, some guy told me. You know, it's not sourced material. It's just, it's clickbait and hearsay, that's all. Goes into the head, locks onto a feeling. You're like, that sounds good. I'm gonna tell other people that. And that's how brand marketing works and also fascism we're finding. (laughs) So, what is the point? The point is, like somebody, like, I don't know. Look, I take vitamins, all right, I take them. I take them every day. I take vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D. And every day they're in my hand. I look at them and in my heart, I think these don't fucking do anything. There's no way they do anything. I know they don't do anything, but other part of me believes that they do. You can actually believe something that you know is bullshit. It's a problem. So now, man, I take them every day because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to die and I think it's gonna give me a leg up. That's why everybody takes them, right? It's gotten to the point where if I don't take them, I've actually driven back to my house to take vitamins I know don't fucking do anything because I believe that might be the day I get whatever it's gonna be that I get. Do you understand? All right. I think the deeper point here is You never know when someone's gonna dump some shit into your head that's gonna ruin your life or at least change it for months or just cause you trouble. And it could be just in passing, somebody just drops shit into your head and you have to deal with it. Like you could just be having a day and somebody maybe you know or don't know that well goes, you taking turmeric? What? (laughs) Turmeric, are you taking it? Turmeric? Yeah, you gotta take that shit, turmeric. Yup, the spice, yeah. You gotta take it. Turmeric the spice. Yeah, man, you gotta take that. The, the spice that you buy once to make an Indian recipe and you never use it again and it stains your wooden spoon, that turmeric? Yeah, you gotta take that shit. I do? Yup, for what? Inflammation. Of what? Just general, general, general inflammation. What is, what is that? It's the new bad thing that causes all the other bad things. What happened to cholesterol? Uh, it turns out that's good for you. What? When did that happen? Turmeric, huh? Who told you about this? My trainer. All right, so the guy who wanted to do something else with his life 
saw something online, told you, and now you're dumping it into my head. Now I got to worry about whether I'm going to take turmeric or not. And I apologize. I know it's a little condescending to trainers, and some people get a little weird about that. I don't know why. Is that a surprise? Most trainers wasn't their life goal. All right, they they had other plans. The team didn't work out. They didn't make the team. They were at the gym a lot anyways. Whatever. Just wasn't the, the big plan for them. All right? They, they ended up there. And they can take this criticism. It's just, I'm just calling a fact a fact. I'm not going to make fun of yoga instructors because that's different. That, that's sort of the last stop for them. You know, I... <laughs> You, you want to be nice to them. You don't know how they got there. It's, it's probably a harrowing tale. But, you, you know, you're kind of grateful they made it to wherever they are. And you know that you being in their class is as important to them as they are to you. Like, if it doesn't work out for the trainer, I'm sure he's going to figure out something else to do. The yoga instructor, we really don't know where that goes. You know, back to the turmeric guy. As he's walking away, he's like, oh, yeah, if you're going to get the turmeric... Make sure you get it with black pepper in it or it won't activate. Now, right there, that, doesn't that make you go like, that sounds like bullshit to me a little bit. Are, am I that big of a sucker that you think I would believe that? Where's the science on that? That sounds like a couple of vitamin hustlers sitting over a mound of wholesale turmeric with a bunch of empty gel caps. One guy going, I don't know, man. I don't think we can move this just like this. It's just a spice. I think we got to, we got to add something. Yeah, like what, boss? I don't know why it's a 30s movie. I don't know, maybe another spice? Yeah, like what, maybe pepper? Yeah, keep talking. Maybe, maybe we say it activates it? Holy shit, that's a fucking million dollar idea right there. Let's load up these gel caps. Maybe Rogan will move them on his podcast. I mean... I know Marin won't do it. He's more of a stamps.com Squarespace guy. But Rogan's sort of an old school supplement slinger. And I know I'm going to get a little flack for that comment. I know there might be a minor pile on on Twitter of the monoculture of free thinkers, but I can take it. So I guess after all is said and done, I should just say that like I'm, I'm taking turmeric and um, <laughs> I feel less inflamed, you know, in a, in a general way, generally less inflamed. I'm going to believe that. I believe that. So we are here with Mark Marin. Thank you for joining me. Yes, my pleasure. Um, so you said you don't necessarily go into setting an intention when you start developing material for a special, but it does seem like the work of shaping the hour and sharpening the themes comes out right before shooting when you have to winnow the material you developed into what will be included. I think I heard you said you had like an hour and 45 minutes of material going into it. So what was it? What was the story that you landed on that you wanted to tell? What did you decide it needed to be in the hour? And how did you decide this joke fit in that? Well, I thought that joke sort of was the key to exploring what we believe and what is true and the power of both of those things in the culture that we live in. I mean, it was really a portal into my... See, I have to come from my own place on this stuff. Mm -hmm. So this has got to be my experience. So I've been sort of wrestling with those, those ideas about, you know, what do I know? What do I not know? Because as the barometers or the precedents or, or the actual science of truth uh, that we've known, 
in our world uh, becomes sort of tenuous or or slippery or or shaky, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, at, at some point you have to take stock of of who you are around this stuff and really ask yourself, well, how much of what I know is just stuff I hear? How much of what I know is just uh, stuff I react to? What have I really done my homework on? You know, mm-hmm. what did you know? Because I know when I was in college, I you know I I don't know that I took anything, and there's a certain amount of bullshit that we all sort of use and uh, and charm to get through life and and a sort of cramming situation when we have to know things so it really kind of seemed to me that the turmeric was my way in uh and the training there was a piece that i cut out of that there's another five minutes in there that i do on stage it's not in the special about you know going to the doctor Mm -hmm. the premise being like don't take medical advice from your trainer you know, and being prescribed statins and having my trainer tell me that uh, that I, I shouldn't take statins and having a moment where, uh, you know, I, I, I believed her and I was going to tell my doctor that I'm just not going to take the statins because my trainer's uncomfortable with it. And, you know, having my doctor say, your trainer? And then I say, uh, yeah, well, she used to be an actress. So, you know, it was pretty <laughs> convincing. And I kind of want to believe that. But, you know, I cut that for time because, uh, you know, it didn't it didn't serve the story necessarily. But it's one of my favorite parts of the joke. So it really became about, you know, health, you know, belief, uh, what we know, what we don't know, you know, what we choose to believe, even if we we know it's bullshit just to get through life. And that was kind of the starting point of the whole special, you know, around belief and around, uh, you know, reality. And in in your previous specials, you have revealed a bit of your process, which involves putting small phrases or or words on a post-it note or hotel stationery, which you then from there read on stage. But with this joke, do you remember what was the the first spark of it that you're like, there's something here? You know, some of this stuff I've you know kind of worked through out loud on the mics on the podcast. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the free thinking around this stuff goes, you know, comes from stream of consciousness on on the podcast. But I kind of had two separate things going around the, you know, what do we know, what do we don't know, and then, you know, why is clickbait, you know, effective, you know, why is, you know, everybody reacting, why, you know, how shallow is anyone's real wisdom or sense of reality, and but, you know, that was already percolating, but then I talked to some nutritionist, that two nutritionists that had, mm-hmm. you know, seen me talking about turmeric outside of, or maybe they even responded from hearing me talk about it on the podcast, it just says, they just said, you know, really, your body does not absorb it, it just doesn't. <laughs> You know, like the amount you would have to take for the body to maybe absorb it is profound. Yeah. Uh, So a lot of it is, you know, hokum. It's bullshit. So then I kind of realized, well, like, but I still like I still take these things. And so there's the vitamin chunk of it. Yeah. And I sort of uh, somehow attached the kind of you know issues around clickbait. What what is you know uh, the the branch of philosophy of you know knowledge? Is it epistemology? What which one is it? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I I I can't <laughs> I can't uh, be intellectual if I can't drop the uh, the fucking word yeah. without asking you about it. But but you know that became they they just attached and they attached nicely. And then as you know time went on, exploring the idea of beliefs, which I've done many times before in my stand up. You know, and bringing Marvel into it and, you know, and bringing, you know, and then just having the kind of reality that we're up against is the the sort of evidence that, you know, anybody can see that, you know, we're in a sort of apocalyptic situation here uh, by virtue of our leader and by virtue of environmental issues. Yeah. And then I stack the other stuff on top of that. Those, you know, some of those ideas have been percolating a long time and they've been out there a long time on the fringes about, you know, the kind of movement of you know, 
evangelical Christians supporting Israel primarily to bring on the second coming and you know get the uh, the sort of prophecy uh, to to happen you know by by making events you know by by creating a good environment for the events to happen in the prophecy that you know some of them and they you know it's it's old timey shit and it's been out there a while but I've sort of you know I've integrated that stuff into my stand up before but this was it all seemed to kind of land yeah. together on this it one. feels like the right time for this 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 it's like you've been talking about this forever and now it's like everyone's like on your level i just don't know if i've been talking about it clearly i mean certainly during the the bush years you you know there was elements of me you know talking in my stand-up about evangelical christianity about radical christianity about their incentive and their goal but yeah the thinking sort of evolved which is really what i do with the stand up anyways to me it's really an ongoing conversation that i'm having with myself and with the audience and you know sort of as my own brain kind of processes this stuff and 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 kind of understands it deeper or in a different way uh you know the conversation changes so so you know this is where we're at now and and i think that i found a tone more than anything else and like look you know i i recorded this in october you know, I mean, the 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 release of it is cosmically uh, uh, appropriate, but you know, I couldn't have planned that, and certainly, I'm not necessarily happy that we're <laughs> you know living in a time of plague. But you know, it it didn't hurt my special, that's for sure. So, um, I want to go through certain parts uh, of the joke. Uh, you can tell me how that evolved, or what you how it what are you yeah, thinking about okay. it? But, so, um, in the sort of I don't know anything section. I think it's really interesting how you go specifically of the you go, do I even exist, which is sort of sophomoric to a joke about you and your cat. Are you trying, especially in that section, to like, I need to lighten this up in ways impossible? Do you feel an audience being like, okay, what are we getting in here? This is heavy on heavy this is I don't well see the thing is I don't know if it's heavy I think it's heady yeah. yes I yes, think yes. it's uh, abstract you know these are these are you know really sort of you know ancient philosophical questions yeah and I think that it's a little more relevant because of the amount of information we you know allow ourselves to be assaulted by you know just by what we're holding in our hand by our phone so it really becomes a more uh pressing kind of uh, uh, question, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, because of how much we react and respond and adapt and and sort of are completely symbiotic with the information spewing devices that we are sitting in front of constantly and, and then kind of becoming a repository for that shit and spreading it, you know, it really becomes a, a fairly relevant question. You know, what do I know? How do I know it? Uh, who am I? Uh, who am I is very important, especially in the face of potential authoritarianism or fascism is like, how fortified are you mentally and spiritually and, and in your own fucking uh, skin to, to know that you won't buckle or you know, how willing are you to fight? How much have you given up already of, of, of your fight and, and who you are and mm-hmm. what you think is important? I mean, these are relevant questions, you know, given the political climate we're in and also the informational uh, media climate we're in. So, like, how do you make those accessible? That was really uh, the question. And the thing about Monkey is that, you know, that kind of, you know, really sophomoric 
philosophical kind of exploration of do I exist or what is real, which I don't really play with. You know, I'm not going to fuck with that. Yeah. You know, like, is this real? Yeah, it's real. I'm sitting in a chair and I'm drinking a tea. But is it? Yes. So really, my quite the, the reason I threw monkey in there was that, you know, yeah, it's cute, but it, it also... It, it indicates that, you know, I'm not fucking around with this. This isn't, you know, this isn't uh, a kind of um, some kind of uh, dumb philosophical explanation, you know, exploration. Mm -hmm. This is relevant to what we're living through. So I think I threw that in if I'm, you know, going to backload this and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of be critical of my own work it to to sort of like, you know, show that on a poetic level that, you know, I'm not playing games here like that. Like that's my cat. He's there. He sees me. I see him. I'm this is here. real. This is right. real life. Yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a nice beat to it. But it also posits the 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 what I'm trying to 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 talk about is being relevant. Yeah. And so in the vitamin section, you you did a condensed version of this joke on Fallon um, a few months before you record the special. Yeah. And there's two interesting differences I'll bring up, and maybe we could talk about that. Which is in, in the special, you say I'm afraid to die, and I and I think this is going to give me a leg up about why you take yeah. vitamins. But on Fallon, you say uh, I'm afraid to die, and I'm stupid. Uh, the other big difference is um, you, when talking about you go back home to take vitamins. You go, am I going to get into a car accident? Vitamin D stops car accidents. Um, why those two changes, especially the not calling yourself stupid? What do you think that does to the joke, or not have that? What does it do for the joke? I don't know. I, I don't like. I don't know if I was conscious of that. And these things get they get done differently all the time. But obviously, I dropped the stupid thing. That's just a, an evolution, you know. Yeah. That you, you know, in terms of naturally trying to get over. You, you know, if I call myself stupid and everyone takes vitamins stupid, I don't think I'm going to lose the crowd, but it's not necessary because it's not really that true. I mean, really, mm -hmm. the deeper thing is about like, I know these don't do anything, but I still believe in them. And, you know, somehow I'm finding comfort from these. And the vitamin D thing, that's just a joke. And yes. the joke's OK, but I guess I liked, you know, this might be the day I'm going to get whatever I'm going to get. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, I, I, th I thought the subtlety of that was better and, and it didn't stop the joke, you know, cause For I think that the, the, mm -hmm. the vitamin D thing, you know, and also, you know, on Fallon, you're dealing with a condensed version. You've only got whatever time is allotted you, but the vitamin D thing is really a, a an extension or a play on the, you know, I'm stupid thing. Yeah. Um, the, the turmeric section has the long back and forth. Is that a thing where you're you're just playing with it and whatever the audience says is how long you can keep on going, you're doing the sort of two-man routine of one person? Oh, yeah, me and the trainer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's a fun thing that, like, I don't think at another point in my career that I would have had the, the sort of groundedness or the confidence to do to sort of, like, there was a period, you know, usually in my mind, you know, there's been things I wanted to achieve comedically that, you know, I was aware that I couldn't do it, at, uh, you know, at a different time where I was, you know, either more afraid or more angry or or more um, sort of uh, intense or desperate mm -hmm. where I didn't have the freedom of 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 mind or craft to, to sort of uh, engage in these kind of devices that were just fun and and just funny because of the repetition and yeah. because of the sort of uh, uh, escalation of that, you know, that type of uh banter and you know as i've gotten older and better and 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 more grounded i like to engage some of those kind of age-old uh tools or or uh, uh 
methods of 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 being funny and uh and and that was just one of them yeah sure it does you know you could go on for as long as it's funny and you can feel that and it's kind of a fun thing to do it, it it's funny because as you say that it's it's similar to the the part of the joke um to jump forward where it's the the 1930s sort of lackey back and forth which feels really silly and go- even like goofy for you do you enjoy this now this part of you that you said you never really felt like you were comfortable enough to do on stage or you weren't grounded enough it, having these in it what does it feel like to have that part which is so silly of this two-man scene of these sort of 1930s vitamin bosses yeah i don't know where that came from it just like it came out of my mouth on stage once the the other guy talking like i don't know boss or whatever that was and then i realized that like you know this is kind of a thing, and I, then I just ended up saying it. Now, I don't know why it's a 30s movie or whatever I said, but it's funny, after that joke, I was like, does somebody else do that? And I'm thinking, like, does Mulaney do a thing like that? And then I realized, no, Mulaney just talks like that. <laughs> so, you know, like, he, you know, he just, constantly is doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I don't know. Like, that, that's always the bigger fear, too, is that, you know, if these things are sort of tried and true, you know, you know, how much have they been done and is it the content or the style or what? But it's also for me, like, at some point I want to have fun with this and there's a broad range of engagement around stand-up styles. And I think I'm confident enough in my voice as the underpinning of all mm-hmm. this that I can explore this stuff a little more. And it's, it, it is funner, you know, more fun for me. And I don't think I did. I really knew how to have fun up there for many years. And also like, you know, I want to integrate my creativity and, and whatever my uh, output is into a sort of, uh, you know, into the sort of deep history of stand up. Like I really can cite all of my influences and my growth in this special. Like I can see my kind of, you know, quiet homages mm-hmm. and some of them, you know, really quite conscious to, you know, my comedy heroes in this special. Like I know where they are. Like I know where I'm like tipping the hat to people and and where I'm integrating myself into the kind of history of modern comedy. Is there something in, in this joke in particular that you can think of something either specific or general that you feel like it taps into? Well, I think those two things you're talking about yeah. are really kind of just, you know, classic kind of, you know, Abbott and Costello yeah. teamwork kind of things. I mean, that that kind of groove, you know, and Lenny did it a lot. I mean, Lenny Bruce did a lot of movie kind of stuff, did a lot of, you know, what what they, you know, somebody I once called, maybe it was Nat Hentoff in a, in a review of somebody, maybe Lenny Bruce said, uh, peopling the stage. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't do you know, impressions. I can, but I've never really done them for very long on stage. But creating two characters or three characters within a bit was a fairly popular thing in long-form comedy. You don't see many cats doing that now. There's a couple of people I know who do it. Obviously, Maria Bamford has a, you know, a deep well of voices and characters. And, you know, I think Al Madrigal in some of his long-form bits does, you know, some of that. It's really a beautiful thing to, to be able to do. And I think that I was sort of honoring, you know, a Tempting to do that, but sort of honoring the kind of like old school kind of, uh, you know, teams or, or, or creating a foil within, you know, your own voice that, you know, that goes back to like, God knows the thirties for Christ's sake, you know? Yeah. The era in which this, uh, lackey existed in. So, um, the trainer and yoga stuff, you explained that it, it, it was a little bit longer previously, but what I think is interesting is, um, you know, you are you're you are sensitive and thoughtful about 
broadly the subjects and the targets of your jokes. And even later in the special, you note that you don't feel like you're punching down to evangelicals because there's so many of them compared to how many Jews there are. But it's clear you want in the special to have moments that are provocative or a little bit more abrasive than like maybe your last couple specials. You know, in a uh, yeah, thing- yeah, it's it's definitely harkening back to a younger me on some level. But I was fairly careful about it. So, so for a joke like for with the trainers and a yoga instructor an example, we talk about how you work that part to make sure you were being okay enough that people didn't feel like you're being harsh on yoga instructors or or trainers. I think what it really comes down to with that, it, whether it's harsh or not, I don't think that what I'm saying is untrue. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of whatever people call provocative or, or taking chances comedically, sometimes it's really as simple as stating a truth that people are too polite or, or, or honestly, maybe it's not necessary to state that. Yeah. So... The, I never quite understood why people kind of clam up or, or, or drop out when, I, when I'm condescending to the trainer, <laughs> but they do. And, you know, and so for me to go like, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but, you know, it wasn't their first choice. You know, yeah. like, I mean, that's but the, but the truth is, I think there's something about how everybody is just trying to adapt and survive. Yeah. So, like, you know, how condescending am I going to be? But I kind of create this character around the trainer of like, you know, no matter what happens, they're going to be all right. Yeah. One way or the other, I don't know about yoga instructors, and I just think there's there's a vulnerability to them that I was fairly careful around and fairly respectful mm-hmm. while I was kind of taking the piss out of them. Yeah. And and I think there's a truth to it. And I think you know this. I think one of the reasons the special is playing well at this particular point in time is that I think the honesty of it is is relieving, and you know, and it's not an honesty that kind of reaffirms old stereotypes that are, you know, either, you know, sexist or racist or whatever, but they're, 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 they're fairly specific. Uh, they're, they're relatively harmless in, in, mm-hmm. in the power of their truths, but they are powerful because they are true. And, you know, they, they're funny, but they're not sort of fighting for any sort of, you know, kind of, um, uh, stereotypical territory, yeah. you know, that we're maintaining out of fear or a, a need to stay, uh, um, committed to uh, past models that are are, are now um, outdated or wrong-minded. I think it also helps. You come from the position of uncertainty. You're not a stand-up that's like, I am the person who knows everything and I'm going to tell you this is how it is. This special, and even this joke, it starts off being like, I don't know anything. I don't know what I know, which frames everything as, oh, this is a person who is like trying to just grab straws in the same way sort of anyone else is. Yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable place to be. So um, the the Joe Rogan part, was it you know, useful for you to, as you're being somewhat conspiratorial and thinking or uncertain, to sort of draw a contrast of your version of conspiratorial thinking and anxiousness and the sort of Roganite version? Well, I mean, that joke was really, you know, first of all, it was kind of like to you know, kind of play off on the, the fact about of the matter is in terms of models of, of what we do. And we're in the same business, both as comics and podcasters. And he's, you know, kind of blown up into this huge empire of, uh, of, of what he does. And, you know, I still keep it pretty small and, and mm. only audio. And, but, you know, the idea was, you know, it played into old school supplement slinger kind of plays into the hustler element, mm-hmm. but also it plays into a sort of kind of age old uh, presenter, you know, huckster 
that's always been part of American radio and media and mm-hmm. sales. And, you know, it's fundamentally American, uh, the snake oil salesman. So, yeah. you know, so I, I, I wanted to hit on that. And I think it was a, 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 a reasonable and not below the belt kind of dig. Uh, you know, because I also said, you know, I, you know, that you know, Marin won't do it. He's more of a Squarespace, uh, Stamps.com guy. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm a selective corporate sellout, whereas he's a, you know, snake oil salesman. And I, you know, and I'm okay with that. I don't. I, th- I think he could be okay with that. And then, you know, really, it wasn't about conspiratorial thinking. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, in terms of my criticism of you know, saying the monoculture of free thinkers. It's yeah. really that, like, look, the one thing I know about myself is that I've never been a follower and I've never been a leader. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. So to have a, a mass of people that, that numbers in the hundreds of thousands who claim to be free thinking, yet they're all thinking roughly the same thing, <laughs> is kind of hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, and I've added to that joke here and there. You know, it's like, you know, we're we're all thinking outside the same box, <laughs> into the same box, you know. So, um, you know, so it's it's I think it's really, you know, it's not bitter, it's not unreasonable. It, you know, I've I've run into issues where, you know, I talk about people who are my peers or in the same business of me where they take personal offense to this stuff. Years ago it happened with Adam Sandler, but at some point when even if somebody you know reaches a level where they have, you know, true cultural impact, you know, you have to be able if you are a cultural critic to to criticize, mm. you know, their impact. And, you know, but you run a risk. I understand that. It, it's a different time than when I insulted Sandler and him and I are okay, I think. Uh, you know, but that was before the internet. I might yeah. have even been. But, uh, you know, I did a bit of that referenced him on Conan and he took personal affront to it. And, it, you know, it was like, you know, you know, he come up, he came up to me and said, I heard you're talking about me. I'm like, yeah, I, I did it on television. So like, you know, <laughs> But but it's the same but, idea of it, they, these people are so much bigger. It, they're living their lives, but they so they have to understand that they represent so much to the consciousness in general. The idea of Joe Rogan is so much bigger than Joe Rogan. Right. But I don't know that, you know, you'd think that, but they don't always know that. Yeah. And I don't know if I would either. And, you know, he hasn't said anything. Maybe he's, you know, taking the high road or hasn't heard about it or doesn't want to draw attention to the special or just thinks, <laughs> you know, I'm a nobody, whatever. I don't care. You yeah. know, it, it, but, you know, I, I, I had to weigh that shit out, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, what what are the possibilities of this? Because, you know, it's a you know, it's a bad few days when you're annihilated online by <laughs> a bunch of meatheads, you know, so. <laughs> You know, I, I said like, all right, well, you know, I, I think this is funny. I think it's relevant. I think, you know, you know, I can handle it. I think he can handle it. And, you know, and that's that, you know. Yeah. And so the joke ends where you say you, you are taking turmeric. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of course it does. Of course it does. It has to end. And it's it's, you know, it brings it back. At the to time you. I wrote it, I was still taking it. <laughs> um, so more broadly. So this is the second special in a row you had directed by Lynn Shelton. Uh, these are these are also the only two specials she has directed, and, and nothing against your your other ones. But I I do think there's a clear difference, especially with this one, which felt like together you're approaching the special as a filmed piece, opposed to say a film representation of a live performance. Can you talk about what it means to think about you have this material and to be like we're creating a visual story as well as capturing the material you've been doing for two years. 
You mean my relationship with Lynn creatively? Yeah, the, yeah, just the idea of well, it being a Lynn visual Shelton, story. Uh, well, Lynn Shelton has uh, you know been a friend of mine for years, and we are now you know a- actually you know dating. Mm-hmm. Um, but back when I first met her, you know, and, and enjoyed the the sort of intimacy of her movies, and 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 you know, then I was able to coincidentally work with her as a director. And she's very intuitive and a huge fan of mine, obviously. Uh, and she understands me emotionally, you know, obviously. And she's, a, you know, understands and loves my comedy for specific reasons. And I think that, you know, working with her, even on the on the last special she did with Too Real, which was shot in a larger theater, yeah. you know, I really, the, the one thing I said to her is, is I said, look, you can't, and I don't know if I was among the first to do this or not, but I said... Do not go to the audience at all. They, you know, that's an old trick that's been used in specials for years, primarily to make cuts. I don't need, you know, you know, four people who I don't know taking up screen time with laughter that, you know, might even be out of context and is just mm-hmm. there so we can remove a chunk of material. So it was really the, the first note for me was, you know, don't go to the audience, stay on me and let's try to make this an experience as intimate as what I do, you know, because I, you know, over years of trying to be, you know, you know, it started with uh, deciding to kind of man the stool was to make any size space intimate. Yeah. You know, draw people in in a way that I can, you know, speak in that tone. I'll get up when I need to. So you know, we did what we could do on that to real. And I think it worked. You know, we really kind of the main thing was a shot at the top where a guy came out from the side of the stage on stage to shoot that opening a bit or right when I come out on stage on to real to sort of ground it in an intimacy. And then we stayed off the audience almost entirely, I think. And she, you know, created a crane shot that she could get in as close as possible. So doing, you know, kind of building on that, on the, that idea, you know, we ended up by coincidence or not, or by kismet or by, you know, default at the red cat theater here in LA, which only seats a couple hundred people. And it's a fairly standard black box theater. So it is by nature, you know, almost too intimate in a way. Yeah. And and a space like that has a certain type of built-in uh, vibe to it, an expectation. You know, people go to those type of spaces to listen, you know, and to engage in, mm-hmm. in theater that is, you know, ex- experimental or staged in a certain way. There's definitely a kind of loftier vibe than one of those kind of old late 1800s, early 1900s vaudeville uh, houses uh, that you that you know we usually do specials at you know, so here I am you know kind of you know we you, you know we built this amazing set in this very sort of sparse theatrical space, but it it did it had enough references to stand up, uh, you know had that the sort of faux wooden floor in my mm-hmm. stool and. Uh, and, and, you know, and we were able to do everything we wanted because we could put cameras anywhere and they were, and everything was very close. It's not that big a place, Yeah. but I did run into some trouble because, you know, I'm only, I'm doing two shows. I only get two shows to get this fucking special man. And, and the first one was a little like, you know, it was seven o'clock on a Friday night. It was a 200 people and change 240, maybe whatever it was. And, you know, they weren't, they were listening, but they weren't given back enough for yeah. me to, to, to move through it the way I wanted to. How much laughing do you feel like your comedy needs to feel like 
you know, like obviously you want laughs, but- dude, dude, dude. I yeah. like I'm an old school fucking yeah. comic. I know how to do a comedy club. Yeah. I know how to do theaters. I'm not some like you know. Uh, alter- I didn't come out of some alternative universe. <laughs> I came up in comedy clubs. I do the job. Yeah. So I know where laughs need to be, and sure. I know where they need to be big. You know, so. <laughs> You know, so the, the the fact is, you know, it wasn't their fault. It just, it was too early. They still light out. It was Friday. You know, I don't know what the story was. I wasn't mad at them. I knew what was going on. It wasn't because I sucked. It wasn't because mm-hmm. was they sucked. It just was what it was. And, I, and that's when I realized, like, the liability of that type of space. When you're in a space that doesn't inherently have its own personality other than this is a black box theater where experimental theater happens... Uh, you know, people go in with a a kind of it's got a weird zap on the head, you know. So, second show, like everything was on the line, you know. And cool. I went out there and I fucking nailed it, and you know, and I was I had no choice, <laughs> and and I don't I don't know what the audience felt or why, but uh, you know, they they gave me what I needed, and that was uh that was fortuitous. Is that the word? Because yes. I didn't I didn't have another shot at it, you know? We'll be right back with more Mark Marin. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You, you know, you said you you were always after um, becoming a comedian with a point of view and being genuine about that. Do you feel part of it is you've aged into your persona, both for you and for the audience? Like these things make more sense 
as a person who's at this part of your life? I guess so. You know, it's a weird thing about that, about, you know, because, you know, people always, you know, say like, you know, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much the same guy, you know, like I've, I think I've always just was trying to become myself and, yeah. and to, to, to be okay in that, you know, and to be comfortable with that. And I, and I think that's true. And I think the depth of my emotional struggle in front of people is probably, uh, uh you know, when you look at, at some of my other work is a little uncomfortable, but again, I wasn't setting out to shock or make people uncomfortable. I was really processing stuff. And I thought that if I'm honest about this on stage, I'll find people who relate to it. And then I can, you know, and then we can all feel a little, you know, seen, you know, I think the idea is to be seen Mm -hmm. for truly who you are. And, you know, a lot of that I did in front of audiences and, and that's still the case. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I've grown older and wiser, uh, uh, you know, uh, to some degree, but and, and more comfortable. Um, but I, you know, I think I was always me, but I just was never, I, you know, that comedy in and of itself is is sort of a defense mechanism or a relief valve to engage in being funny is is kind of a defense mechanism. If you're just a regular person, it does kind of. Uh, you know, you keep people out of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, to do it professionally, you know, then it becomes something different. But it's still the root of being funny is that of being funny is to to sort of make things easier for yourself. Uh, you know, either by you know protecting yourself or disarming situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you know that's the very the nature of it. So you know to show myself throughout from under that stuff has become, you know, the journey of, of, of me, you know, arriving as me on stage. So yeah, I, I think that's happened, but I, I don't remember what the original question was. But about, uh, uh, I think you've answered it. It's about aging into the persona that can talk I don't about think, the top. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't quite agree with that. I think Got that because the persona like I've had different approaches to this thing, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't think I've aged into a persona. I think I've evolved into who I am. Yeah. I think part of it is also I want to talk to you about your relationship to the audience um, to sort of summarize quickly in in final engagement. The album you released in 2009, which was sort of at a low point professionally before the podcast hit. You, you point out that the <laughs> yeah. club is half sold um, oh, then yeah. in. Then in your first special in 2013, Thinky Pain, um, you talk about how you want in a small room because that's where comedy is done, not in theaters where you're running all over the place. But then obviously Fast Forward to Real was in this large theater. And now with End Times, not only is it in this small black box, as you said, the audience is sort of blacked out in a way that's like borderline menacing in a way. But through sort of all of that, you know, how has your feeling about the audience changed and your relationship changed over the last you know, 10 years. Well, I mean, it's changed in the fact that like, yeah, I mean, I still believe for, cause for me, look, man, you know, comedy, you know, when you have the freedom of mind to take chances up there that even you don't know what they are, you know, that's where it happens. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's club comedy for the most part, though. I've taken those chances on bigger stages and I do always take those chances in all of the specials, Almost all of them, there's stuff in them that I have never done before ever, mm-hmm. and and I may never do again. So that's how I keep, you know, an hour set 
or an hour and 10 minute set vital and alive is that I really enter all of those things knowing that it's all there, but knowing that, but don't be afraid to go, you know, to, to, if you, if you feel an opening to go out there on the wire, do it. Yeah. You know? So I still believe that, but I think the, the other thing that's changed is that I've, since I've made some of those original statements, I've built an audience for myself and I have an audience now. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, during Thinky Pain, for for real, I did not have an audience. I could not sell tickets, really. So, so that changes things for better and for worse. You know, then you have a, a bunch of people that know you too well. You know, being a podcaster and being in the world we live in now, uh, in terms of accessibility, most of the people that like me and dig me and like my work, they know me pretty fucking well. Yeah. Uh, but some people come from other avenues, from Glow or from you know doing you know whatever. But uh, but they do know me. But I think that that does change things, you, you know, in that like I can sell 800 to 1,000 tickets in some place. Like yeah, I can sell more than that. I, for the last couple, you know, in those theaters, which were 900 theaters, 1,100 theaters, I can sell that many tickets and people will come out and they'll enjoy it. And I like that. And I can make those intimate experiences. And I again, the, the, the kind of cosmic timing, the, the whatever it is, the serendipity mm-hmm. or the whatever happened that got me into this black box was not planned. But so, I mean, to that point, are having this fan base that that knows you, I mean, you, you, you said before that um, having this fan base allowed you to feel more comfortable to be free on stage. Um, um, well, yeah, oh, certainly, uh, for sure. But the truth is, is like, look, I go out every week, I'm in town, and I do the comedy store, and they're not all there to see me. That's just regular club work. When I'm building a set, you know, I'll go do little clubs across the country, and I've got, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they'll be all my people, but you, you know, certainly, if I do a theater, no one's just happening upon that. Yeah, no one's walking by a theater going like, oh, let's, go. who's this guy? Let's go see it. But you know, when you do a comedy club of any kind, that's the reality, and that's the job. So there, by all means. I keep my chops in order. You know, I go out and I do this. I do the comedy store. You know, every you know, I'm going out there tomorrow night in the midst of the plague, and I'm gonna fucking work out. You know, I, as far as I know, until they close it all down. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's the work. That's the gymnasium. Because by virtue of the fact that all my material is constructed improvisationally on stage in front of people with me working through ideas and slowly honing that over a period of time the the nature of what i believe is where comedy happens is still where it happens it's in a smaller room and so as we wind down i want to address the sort of elephant in every room can you talk about releasing your special right now um, that's talking about sort of all these things and is coming out during coronavirus. How has that felt um, sp- this week as both these things are happening at once? I don't know, man. It's weird, right? <clears throat> I, you know, look, I, you know, heading into this, you know, my feeling was like, look, this special will go up and it'll just get kind of, you know, you know, lost in the churning cloud that delivers us all of our shit. You know, like I didn't, yeah, you know, I, I fully anticipated like, you, you know, I'd get my people to watch it and, you know, and then, you know, it would just fade. So, you know, my expectations were very different. Obviously, I don't want everyone to get sick, but if you're at home, <laughs> maybe this is a good thing to watch at this particular yeah. point in time. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of amazed. It's that weird mixture of excitement and horror, uh, you know, uh, 
in that, you know, that's my feeling. And I'm, I'm happy I can provide the relief necessary yeah. uh, for this particular point in history and that somehow or another, October, November, December, January, February, March. So somehow in four months, you know, you got to keep it kind of broad, you know, and it, but, you know, I knew that it was broad enough and that most of what I was talking about was going to be our reality for a while. You know, I did, I couldn't have banked on this. No. Or that, you know, that, you know, me saying something horrible, it's going to take something horrible to get people back, <laughs> you know, together that, you know, that would read as this, you know, and, but, but I do feel that, that it is a, a, a good thing to watch to, to find a little respite, but also, you know, a, a little kind of, um, what's the word I want? A little kind of relief, kind of. Well, yeah, release, but hard comfort in, yeah, in yeah. hard truths that, you know, again, you know, you know, reacting to something that, you know, is 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 a truth framed in a different way. You know, comedy can frame things in ways that you may not have understood it before. I mean, that's why I always loved it when I was a kid is that, you know, a good comic could take things that were daunting or scary or seemingly unapproachable and within a few lines really make it accessible and, and make you laugh at it and kind of put it into your head in a different place, you know, to change the way you think about something, you know, in, in a very immediate way. And, and also, um, you can feel, uh, reaffirmed in some ways in, in your own feelings, uh, and less alone in some way. So all that stuff happens and, and, you know, this is a good time for it. And I'm sorry, it's a horrible time, but, but I'm happy that the shit is out there so people can be like, okay, that made me feel better and I'm not crazy. I, you know, I was talking to my father who's a, a psychologist and, and Jewish, and he was talking about how this feels like the moment neurotic people, hypochondriacal people have been prepared for. And I do think there's a little bit of like this special captures, I think, the way a lot of people who were on high alert just as an everyday basis act like and it's 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 useful for people who are able to compartmentalize a little bit more easily to have a person who's like this is how i live with this stuff normally yeah i yeah i mean that's what uh, my producer brendan mcdonald you know he said that i was more well prepared for what's happening and he mm -hmm. and i'm quoting him he says i think people with generalized anxiety are in a better position than people who don't have their who don't have that or only get anxious and spikes you and your people rehearse catastrophic situations in your head <laughs> all the time. Like you're ready to roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. So he's like, he's, he's saying like what your dad said. Yeah. I, I guess that's true. Cause I, I'm sort of, I feel okay right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, you talk about a Jewishness a lot in this show. Um, you know, it's come out different times in your standup, especially pre 2009, but it seemed really central to the worldview that you're sharing here as a person who not only cares about this tradition, but also has talked to a lot of the people who've defined comedy as a Jewish tradition. You know, what does it mean to you to be a Jewish comedian to fit into the history of Jewish comedy? Uh, for years, I stayed away from it. You know, I was like, I couldn't figure out a way to do it that wasn't, you know, hackneyed or stereotypical. You know, I just didn't like, you know, Jewish comedy always sort of fell into the realm of like, you know, Jews, they, they like to sit down, you know, like, you know, Jackie yeah. <laughs> Mason stuff. Like, well, I don't even know what that means, you know, but I do know what it means and, and I understand it, you know, and also like you can't, there are certain Jewish comics you can't remove, like, you know, 
for everything that is said or understood or not understood or, or mythologized about Lenny Bruce, he was a fundamentally Jewish comic yes. uh, in all aspects to the point where she spoke Yiddish in a lot <laughs> of his bits. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there is a, a kind of the, the history of Jews in dialogue with themselves and with God philosophically and, and you know, and kind of the premium that uh, the Jewish people have put on education to make sure that we survive in 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 a world where we're going to be denied things or killed. Uh, you know, it certainly so it, it, at this particular juncture in history weighs heavy on me. You know, one of the first Jewish jokes I ever really kind of worked out for myself was, you know, in the 95 HBO half hour about, you know, the this the kind of myth of the conspiracy about, you know, Jews having all the money, mm-hmm. you know, and doing this long bit of like, yep, we have it all, you know, and you know, we meet sometimes, we go to synagogues, every synagogue has a room in the in the basement that's just, you know, gold coins and th- you know, like and this is uh, different in that Jewish identity I think is again in at stake and in and in mm-hmm. peril as our Jewish people. So you know, it, it, it's a scary thing. I think I make I kind of do a throwaway line about that. It's important for Jews to state that they're a Jew. You know, just you know, out of context to make themselves a target and to make other Jews feel comfortable. <laughs> you know, I once worked with with Paul Mooney and years ago uh, in Sacramento, I featured for Paul Mooney and Paul Mooney is an African-American comic, and he's, you know, hardcore. Yeah. And... He he used to write a lot for Richard Pryor. He wrote sure. the... That, that Just for context for listeners... And he's also a comic. He co-wrote yeah. uh, Jojo Dancer. He You yeah. know, he was, you know, a uh, confidant of Pryor's, and, and he wrote a lot with Richard Pryor. So, he was on Chappelle's show. I, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I don't know if he's well or not, but years ago, I worked with him in, in Sacramento. You know, it was a primarily white audience, and you know, and Mooney's just doing his Mooney thing, which <laughs> is really, you know, he'll do at least two hours, you know, and everything is is basically you know indicting whites and using the N word constantly, and you know, it's it's righteous shit. It's 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 you know, it's persistent, and I didn't you know realize. Until you know, you know, maybe a month or so later, what he was doing. But, but the thing is, is that no matter who you think you are, or how progressive you think you are, whatever you're made of, like what he's doing when you're a white person sitting in that audience, is that he's defying you by by persistence and just sheer, you know, the longevity of the set and mm-hmm. through repetition, he's defying you to you know to fight the part of yourself. That says, you know, when's this black guy going to shut up? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when's yeah. this when is this N word going to going to shut up about this? I, we get it. You know, we get it. You're black. So he is searching for you to experience your own racism. Yeah. Right. So in honor of that, which is one of the homages mm-hmm. in this special that I push that Jewish thing in a tone. That's vulnerable and 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 kind of like, you know, like Jews are just amazing. I'm <laughs> defying people. I want people to have that experience in themselves. And I yeah. don't remember is that is that line in the spe- in the special, like most people are anti Semitic. Yes. Um oh, it is, see, like that's an old joke of mine. I What's mean, the that's like, joke again? That, you know, uh, I'm not saying they're walking around saying I hate the Jews, but it doesn't take much baiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's really why I do it. You know, it's 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 definitely um, 
you know, it's it's like you know the Jews are here, and and you know, and we're vulnerable, but you know, we're we're not going to go down without a fight, and and you need to know whether or not you you're anti-Semitic. Yeah, find it. So you know, that's that's really what's going on there. Outside uh, of the fundamental Jewish nature of who I am. Exactly. Um, to, to go back to a little bit to coronavirus, you've talked about how you got into comedy to figure out who you were. As you, as you write in your book, you wanted to finish the construction of yourself. So you've been, you've been doing this for about 35 years or so. You know, what does it mean to you and the construction of yourself to help people, to have comedy that is useful for people? And especially at this time, you know, where... We don't know if people are going to be going to comedy clubs for the next weeks or months. Look, you know, I, you know, this is all like a, a happy accident in a way. You know, I obviously, uh, you know, with the podcast and with the nature of where that comes from, that the fundamental source of the podcast is an idea uh, that I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is that when two people get together and talk, they get out of themselves and into somebody else's story. Mm -hmm. And that there's no way that doesn't help both people. So that's the premise of that. So, you know, with the comedy and with the podcast and with any of the, you know, obviously I have more freedom of mind uh, to not, I'm not, uh, I don't have to be funny on the podcast. You know, as a stand-up, it's your job. Yeah. So... Between both things, the the fact that people you know, get something out of my willingness to share my struggles and my vulnerability and 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 whatever it is that I'm feeling, you know that they you know they feel a little you know less lonely or a little more relieved. I mean, this is an isolating time, and this doesn't coronavirus not going to help anything. I mean, I talked to Brendan about this that you know when if if we survive as a species, when they look back on this period of history, the thing that's really going to stand out. His point was that is that how isolated everyone was mm-hmm. and and that like most of the thinking and bile and everything else happens in this strange vacuum of people's individual lives and some of those lives are 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 tragic and horrible and and compromised and and unfair and but they have this outlet to engage uh with the world through you know social media and everything else but it's a lot of it is coming out of complete lack of connection uh yeah. with other people or with community so the fact that you know, this stuff that I'm doing is is bringing, I, I think, a fairly, you know, sensitive um, and vulnerable bunch uh, feel a, a, a little seen and a little less alone and a little better and a little publicly represented. And then there are other people on top of them who are a little more together who can just, you know, get a kick out of some of the stuff I do. Uh, and then there are people that are just like, oh, well, this guy's just a baby. And, you know. <laughs> All right, you know, you project whatever you want to project. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I I feel good that that it's happening. I don't. I'm not great at taking compliments. I kind of just, you know, keep moving. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, but it it's it, 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 I'm grateful that I've been afforded the opportunities I have at this point in my life, and that they are making a difference you know, uh, to some people's lives. So it 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 does it affirm the. I mean, like in so much as having people respond to it to get back to sort of a lot of the questions of like audience and the figuring out who you are having an audience and having it be meaningful. Does it, is it affirming or ultimately you're doing you and it is meaningful, but not necessarily. No, no. Of course it's affirming. It's like, it's one of the reasons that, 
you, you know, I've I've been able to to have a sense of comfort yeah. within my own skin to have any sort of peace of mind or or to think that you know my life's work is worth something. I mean, mm-hmm. I started doing comedy primarily because I wanted to, you know, I had something to say. I didn't know what it was, but I knew this is where I wanted to say it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, as as time went on, you know, that something has kind of evolved into something that is, 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 is valid. Yeah. So, you know, after all these years, you know, of, of the podcast becoming popular and having this kind of feedback and, you know, you know, being sober and then having the comedy reflect like this is that, I know that my I didn't squander my life that you know that I had a, a higher calling which was comedy and yeah. that I don't know how people look at it but that's how I look at it and that you know I honored it and it 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 suited you, you know and and grew with me uh, and and was able to 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 sort of deliver whatever the fuck it is I'm a vessel for delivering yeah and and yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely is not lost on me, and I and I definitely feel um, good about that. Well, you know, in in your pre two thousand nine, you'll talk about a lack of success or or your bitterness towards a lack of success, or not necessarily latching on. You know, thinking about now, where you you found a sort of stability. You know, what did you expect success to look like? And now that you sort of have it, how has your idea of success as a comedic artist, as whatever, evolved? Well, you know, I don't, it's hard for me to to tell. Like, I, you know, it's like I, I don't, in the sense that, like, I know, like, on a fundamental level, you know, living the life I've lived most of my life, you know, the one thing that is comforting is, you know, unless, you know, the, everything falls apart, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have to freak out about money right mm-hmm. now. Which is a load off. Yeah. Uh, I also know that creatively, I have a lot of freedom of mind, and that I have places I can go to to express myself. That's great. You know, I can do that anytime. That's nice. Um, I like my house. I, you know, I'm I'm trying to learn how to enjoy things, and you know, the timing on that's not great given the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, but and but how does it affect my life? I still find a way to think I'm not doing the best I can, and that like I wish more people liked me. There's still <laughs> part of me that thinks like so. That's why is that guy so popular? Because like yeah. you know, in the big picture of things, I'm still an acquired taste. I'm still kind of a marginal figure. I do all right for myself. I make a, a nice living, uh, you know. But I'm not huge. But I think there's probably a reason for that. Like there's a reason for every everything else. I'm not being spiritual here. I'm not being God minded maybe i am i don't know <laughs> i don't know if what i who i would be if i got that big i imagine i would you know i would crush myself under the expectations of that responsibility so i think i'm exactly where i need to be i always think that i'm i'm going to dry up or i'm you know i'm going to repeat myself or that you know i'm going to i I talk about like, you know, going off the grid or quitting comedy or, you know, fuck everything, you know. I have those days, I, you know, mm-hmm. almost every day for an hour. So you know, I still fight that fight. Is it necessary? I don't know, but I guess it's who I am. But it seems like you would prefer to be an acquired taste than the the alternative, which is a sort of like well, everyone that, gets in media. 
Yeah, but you know, you can't make that happen. I'm never going to be that guy. There's nothing yeah. I could do to make that happen. And you know, some of the guys I like or have respected in my life were, you know, are fucking huge. And but I find a little space in my heart to be jealous of that. But I know in my heart also that I am not cut out for that man. And yeah. you know, I can't do it any differently than I'm doing it. So yeah. that's who I am, and that's okay. Uh, I was watching your your evening at the improv set from 1991, which is available um, on on Amazon, I believe, and. I think I've heard you you've rewatched it. Just to summarize, there's there's jokes I was thinking about. There's a joke about you having APC, which is AIDS paranoia complex, or there's the joke yeah. where you sit down to recreate passengers on a flight that crash that go on to catch their connecting flights. You know, that's <laughs> nearly thirty years ago. When you think about those jokes and that guy, do do you see the same comedian? Do you see a different comedian? It's weird when I watch those, like, because I always assume that, like, you know, like I'm so different. But no, I, I, I see. Ex- it's me, man. Don't yeah. you see me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm younger, but the voice is the same. That you know, the, 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 the kind of uh, uh, the way of thinking is the same. Like, like I always assume that, like, I didn't know who I was, or like, you know, like I've got to become this or that. But I'm, I'm that guy, you know, I'm older and I'm better at what I do. And I'm, you know, I'm wiser and I'm, I'm a little more filled out, but I I used to not be able to hear myself in that guy, but I completely hear myself in that guy. Yeah. There's something really, there's something really beautiful when I re cause I watched it before I watched end times again. And I was like, yeah, it's all about, like it's this guy who's it's literally about being paranoid about like drugs and the end of society or existence. And it's like that person was imagining hypothetically being the comedian maybe are now. But it, it's you. I, I thought there was really something really charming about that. About what? That the arc is that, that you know, you can see me there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I me too. I, I, I mean, I don't know if I find it charming, but I'm, I'm relieved <laughs> and yeah. I feel like I was probably too hard on myself for the last 30 years because, you know, I, I just assumed that for some reason, I don't know why that, you know, that I was, I had some sort of nebulous self that mm-hmm. I was not fully formed, but the, you know, because of my parents' selfishness and, you know, my, my poor self-parenting techniques that I engaged very early on. But, but like when I watch that, I'm like, Oh fuck, I was always me. What the fuck was I doing <laughs> to myself? You know? Uh, in 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 general, looking back, that or now, do you think about? I've heard you talk about it as difference between music and comedy, but does comedy as it ages? Do you think about like, oh, I want co- my comedy to make sense in thirty years, or do you ultimately feel like, oh, it's a temporary thing, and that's sort of what's special about it? No, I I think that's a liability of comedy in general. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. That for some reason, a lot of it speaks to the age it was created. Um, you know, that's why, you know, so many people don't know the, the thousands of comics that have come before us, you know, because yeah. it, 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 it doesn't really hold up. There's it's a rare type of person that holds up, you know, like I in my mind, I can only think of a couple. There are some you know basic clowns who are great comics that do physical comedy. That's not really sometimes the technology of what they're goofing on, you know, fades away. But I think. The greatest example of a, a sort of timelessness of a kind of a Neil Young of comedy, you know, in yeah. terms of like how his old records seem to hold up and and aren't, uh, you know, not the middle period, but the original ones kind of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, they're, you know, but like I think Hedberg is like one of the only guys that, you know, can always, you know, pick up a few people, you know, like, uh, yeah, like you listen to the crazy. Hedberg. 
Right, yeah, the Hedberg right. records. If you're a kid or you're 15 and someone gives you a Hedberg record today, it's going to be just as good as it was when he first came out, you know, for that yeah. person. Yeah, and that, and that makes And I think what you, in exchange, you get something sort of what's happening now with End Times Fun, which is this week or this month, when people look back at it, you had a special that sort of captured it exactly while it was happening. Yeah, I think most of my stuff is of its time. I think some of the personal stuff can, will hold up, you know, mm-hmm. for a while. And there's a lot of that on on the last two specials. You know, I think that stuff is kind of timeless. But, you know, obviously stuff where you're like where I made the choice. I, I was like, all right, you know, what's my time window here? You know, can. And I think that's a reason why a lot of comics don't do topical shit on specials is, you know, you've got this lag between doing it and when it's going to be up. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I felt that, that I, that this stuff would hold, yeah. but I had no idea it would be as on the nose as it is because of the tragic events of today. <laughs> <laughs> so that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's yeah. comedy, it's laughing. <laughs> okay. I, I've been dreading. For years, having to say that in front of you, um, I just hope I can do it. I, you know, I'm now I'm like now I'm like on the spot. I feel like, uh, uh-oh, no, what are you going? All right, it's it, they're easy and you can always pass. Um, do you have a favorite joke, joke, street joke, or any joke that comes to mind that is joke, jokey joke? There's a couple old Jewish jokes that I always liked, and there's there was one that my uh, my buddy Dan Vitali used to do. It's not really a street joke, but he's another comic, yeah. and I always loved the joke where he's. You know, talking about he's a guy that, uh, you know, he had he he was about to happen, man. They got cast on Saturday Night Live, but his demons got the best of him, drinking drugs, everything mm-hmm. else. He's sober now, but I interviewed him years ago. But he's doing this joke about he. I don't, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like you know, you hear about people hitting bottom, you hear about that, folks. But uh, you know, I got to tell you, man, I was, uh, you know, I, you know, I was laying in the street, drunk, you know. You know, talking to myself, I had a bottle of vodka in one hand, a crack pipe in the other hand. You know, and I was broke. And I'm telling you, I, that was my, that was the bottom. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I definitely hit bottom. And then he says, uh, "But you know, when you hit bottom, you'd be surprised at how much give that floor has." <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a joke you you wish you can steal, or just sort of joke another comedian told that when he saw you're like, damn, I wish I thought that. Or, you know, I wish I could have had that in my act. Um, no one would, you know, it's a different universe. So this is everything exactly the same, but you have this this one joke or idea. No, I I mean, you know, there there are jokes that, that I liked, you know, and, and there's there was a period there where, you know, you, you kind of go like, well, what's everyone else's take on this? I mm-hmm. ge- generally my envy used to fall around people who, you know, who had the freedom and the the sort of innate ability without even trying to be incredibly physically funny. Yeah. Uh, or, or you know, do voices and things like, you know, a lot of my favorite comics to watch, like Al Madrigal or Maria or, um, you know, even Kevin James, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just sort of like, you know, they just can't help either. You know, they just have a freedom of storytelling and doing characters or they just can't help but be physically funny. You know, I, there, I've, I've sort of wished that I could execute like uh, like other people. Um, but uh 
But like, you know, sure, there are jokes that I'm like, God damn it. I, but I, I don't do that so much, you mm-hmm. know, to, uh, that I that I recall that, that like, you know, I, uh, more more what happens is like, oh, that's too close to my joke. Yeah. You know, and like who did it first or we working together. But eventually I learned that you, know, you know, just get rid of it. Drop the joke. Uh, oh, there's another joke that I really liked. Uh, sure. Uh, and it's a Bill Hicks joke. Hicks used to do this joke about you haven't dating this woman for uh for a year and a half i guess it's time to you know pop the big question why are we still going out (laughs) 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 Uh, that's good uh, some quick wtf questions we have talked only about stand-up and i I, as a person who also interviews comedians i was i was wondering um is there are people that you wish you could interview again like who would be people that if you could you know next week interview them again that are on the yeah, list. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that. I mean, there's definitely, you know, like there's people that, you know, have either been through shit or people that have gotten incredibly, massively successful since we talked to them. You know, Kevin Hart comes to mind, even Amy Schumer, what she's gone through. I mean, mm-hmm. there are certain people that have become like huge and gone up and down and up and down. Like, so, you know, you, we could look at that, you know, uh, in terms of, of pe- people who have gone through shit. I, I doubt that, you know, Louis would ever talk to me again, but, you know, seeing where he's at, but I don't know what where that mm-hmm. is exactly. But, you know, but you, you just the, those people that have either gone through things or become, you know, beyond anything we could have imagined since I've talked to them might be good to revisit. You've talked about how Albert Brooks has become a, a bit of a, a white whale for you. Do you I, have- yeah, I love him. Yeah, me too. Do you have a sense of what you'd want to ask him about? I, I just uh, like the, the, the sort of arc of his career, for one, you know, and w- what he comes from, you know, his father, his brother, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like how he was so fucking funny to so many people before he even stepped on a stage and also what he's thinking about now, which I kind of know he's freaking out, um, you know, but I, I don't know what it is that, you know. You know, I, and I understand why you, you know, some people just don't want to talk about themselves for an hour. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I haven't really, you know, tried too hard to get Larry David, um, you know, or or Jerry Seinfeld because I, I don't think he really likes me or understands me, uh, or you know, even gives a shit. But you know, Albert, I, I, I like, and I feel like I, I have uh, common, you know, sort of things with him, and you know, he certainly influenced me a lot in some ways. So, like, you know, the, you know, the regular stuff. I do think Jerry would like talking to you. I don't know how he feels about you personally, but I do think he would be like, he would, I don't know how personal he would get, but I do think he would at least like talking about comedy. Oh, look, he's been offered to it and people I know have talked to him about it. And he's just yeah. said, you know, why, I, why would I do that? Yeah. And I, you know, whatever. I don't know if that's changed, but you know, again, it's like one of those things where I don't think he respects me as a comic. I've never been asked to been on his show. You mm-hmm. know, why not? You know, I, I know there's a lot of comics in the world, but, uh, you know, I would be perfect for that show. I just don't think I'm on, I'm on his radar or that he has any knowledge or respect for me as a comedian. That's my belief. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap up, I, I, I want to say thank you um, partly because obviously the fact that the podcast existed allowed for me to have a podcast where I interview comedians. But beyond that, you know, yeah. starting that podcast allowed people to start taking comedy seriously, saying to people comedians are interesting their craft is interesting what they do is completely changed i think in my opinion how this country saw comedians and i i've you know i feel like i really need to thank you because that i i have 
this career and the, this show and being able to talk to you for this long is 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 because of the sort of vocabulary and conversation you've been able to uh, give to the public. So uh, as we wrap up, I wanted to say thank you and accept as much. I know it's hard to accept compliments, but I, I you know, I, I feel bad if I didn't say anything. Well, you're welcome. And what I generally say when people compliment me about any, every anything, uh, my go-to is uh, glad to help out. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna also learn that. Uh, so okay, your, your influence continues. <laughs> That's it for another episode. You can watch End Times Fun on Netflix, and of course, listen to Mark's twice weekly interview podcast, WTF. Follow Mark on social media at Mark Marin. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Art Chung. Editorial assistance from Amanda Gordon. Gautam Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. Or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Ronnie Chang. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Teen Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Teen Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.